0: We need a talent identification and development system within Tennis Coaching. That is today's topic and welcome. We are live on MyTennisCoaching.com, on Facebook and on YouTube. As always, my name is Steve Whelan from My Tennis Coaching. I hope you're all well. This will be the last stream live this year. Uh, We're going to have a break over the next couple of weeks. We'll be back on the 5th of January, which ties in nicely to the launch of my new online coaching academy. I'm going to share my screen with you now. And that's the content plan for the academy. So the academy, if you don't know, is the members only part of my website. It's been redeveloped and uh, rewritten as we speak. And it's going to be relaunched in February, my tennis coaching academy. but Current guild members and legacy members will get early access from January to test out the new platform and all the new content. And that's what's coming up. So on the 5th of Jan, we are going to have an introduction to tennis coaching course. That course is a online course. It's full of videos, quizzes, reflection points um, and mainly designed for tennis coaches who are just starting out on their tennis journey. From Friday the 12th, we have a return of serve development video. So in that video, you'll see me coach. I will coach a young player at under nine level and you'll see how I develop the return of serve skills in real time. On Friday the 19th of January, we'll be live within my members area and we'll be tackling coaching challenges. So that's an opportunity for tennis coaches all across the world. To share their current challenges, and I try and offer some solutions. That is exclusively live for my members. If you can't join it, if you're a member, you can submit your emails uh, or your questions to me in advance, and I'll talk about them live on video, and you'll be able to catch up on demand. And then on Friday the 26th, we have a downloadable content section for you to download all things Instagram. I'm going to share with you my secrets of how I've grown my Instagram from just a couple of followers to just under 16,000 followers. And how Instagram helps drive my online coaching business. I'll be sharing all those secrets with you with templates and stuff as well. Uh, And that's the content roadmap. So every single month, there'll be four pieces of content, which we've released just for the members. And it's all around making you a better tennis coach. If you're interested in the academy and would like to join the waiting list and join as a legacy member and get early access, head over to mytenniscoaching.com. Right, so let's get into it. So talent, talent development, talent identification, talent attraction, whatever you want to call it. I've been thinking about this now the last few weeks. All around pretty much like last week's dream, trying to redevelop and redesign a tennis program. And in 99.9% of tennis programs I looked at and researched, there was always a performance program or a pathway or some type of competitive or development program. And every single club I looked at, it was all the same. If you have potential or if you want to maximize your potential, you may be invited To the performance program and you'll be given access to more sessions more coaching and that's going to maximize your potential but do we need it and i must admit i'm conflicted on this because for the past 20 years i've worked in that space i've worked in the under 10 talent talent id it used to be called talent attraction talent development whatever you want to call it. That's been my area of work. And I've been a head coach at a couple of performance centers. Um, my job has been to identify, attract these talented players and then develop them through the under 10 system into under 12. And that's been my job for 20 years. And I'm sitting here today streaming this and I'm thinking, do we actually need that type of system? Is that system doing any good? And one of the questions that I've been really playing around this week is Well, I've coached, I don't know, over a thousand tennis players over the years, probably more. How many have actually become tennis players? Now, I, I know quite a lot are still playing tennis, so I definitely count that as a win. But how many have actually gone on to make it? Well, I had one play main draw well, Wimbledon. That's it, only one. Quite a few have played ITF. A few played junior Wimbledon, quite a few have run county championships and gone to national level tournaments, but not many, not many at all. So, all those hours, all that work you've put in, and not many players have quote unquote made it. So, was it worth it? Potentially, again, if again, I see a win. In terms of, okay, have those sorry, are those players still playing? if it's a yes, then it's a win. And then, if we look at the whole system, if we're all doing that, why aren't we got well, why why haven't we got more players coming through? And when I look at that type of system, and I talked I touched upon this last week in the in the stream about programming. If you have the system where, okay, if you've got talent and you want to maximize the talent, which is everyone's phrase, then you need two, three sessions a week. You need private lessons. You've got to play tournaments. So Straight away, that puts barriers up. One is the financial implication. And it's one of the things we looked at with when I used to work really closely in this space in terms of identifying or attracting the talent. We always had to look in, okay, can they afford it? Can they afford to to, to actually pay the fees? And that's a huge barrier. And I talked about this the other week. I think tennis is not an expensive sport. Coaching makes it expensive. So therefore, I was making it expensive. And we say it all the time, don't we? Long-term player development, you've got to play X amount of hours. You've got to have X amount of coaching. And it's going to cost you this much. Yes, it's subsidized in some cases. And we might have a little bit of funding to make it a little bit cheaper. Um, But it's still going to cost you more than it would have in one session a week. But you need it. And we've discussed over the last couple of weeks on this channel that I don't think you need eight hours of coaching a week. You might have eight hours of tennis a week. But I don't think you need eight hours of coaching. So, therefore, we don't need that system where you just go off and play. And in terms of actually who we invite on these programs, how can we identify a talented player? And I've been sitting down this week thinking about, okay, well, what what did I used to do? How did I used to do it? And some of the training that I've been given, because obviously I did this um, to a good level, some of the training I was given was, okay, first and foremost, you have to look at the parents. One, we talk about the finance, but two, look at the parents' build, okay? Because... Because we're looking at these kids at under ten, that they've not hit puberty yet, so they they, they haven't hit maturity. So we don't know how they're going to grow. So the only thing we've got to go off is look at mum and dad, because hopefully they, again we look at genetics and genes. Okay, well then they might they might sort of look like mum and dad, but that's a whole minefield. Because what if I take after mum? Mum's five foot tall, and dad's seven foot tall. So again, that's just an absolute guessing game. So we look at the parents. Then we looked at things like the head and heart we used to talk about, look at the the individual, the person. But then if you're looking at a nine-year-old, like they, they haven't found who they are yet. And we're making judgments on personalities that aren't even developed. So maybe, maybe I'm not the best listener. Maybe I'm the one playing with fluff on the floor. I remember one of my head coaches many years ago said, well, the kid who picks the fluff up is not going to be a tennis player because he can't listen. But maybe they're really just practical. I'm a terrible listener. I was probably the one picking the fluff up off the floor. So maybe someone who thinks that looks at me and thinks, well, they're not going to make it because he's a really bad listener. And I am I am generally a bad listener because I just want to get on and play and do stuff. I don't like to, don't like standing around talking, believe it or not. Um, definitely not standing around listening. So we can't use that. So what what did we use? And I've been involved in National Government Body regional camps and county camps. We used to call Talent ID camps back in the day. I still do the regional camps every now and then at the moment with one of my players who's going through the pathway. What do we used to do? Well, we used to look at physical development, and we used to do tested. So we would test 20-metre sprint, agility, balance, strength, lower body, frog jumps, overarm throw, and mark it out. So we do a whole battery of um, physical testing and then we'll record your results and then we'll just compare it to people the same age as you. And whatever you would on that spectrum, that would help us identify you as, as talented because it was put forward to me by someone many years ago at the National governing Body was, oh, it's quite easy to teach tennis to an athlete it's not so easy to teach us to a non athlete. So we want athletes. The physical testing scores is what we need. But we're doing this pre puberty. Again, we have no idea how they're going to develop. Some of the kids have developed really quick. And I used to work with one girl who was really physically developed. She probably had the body of a of a 12 year old at, at nine, 10. She was really tall, really strong, really athletic. But then when she got into t- under-12s, under-14s, everyone else caught up, everyone else developed, and, she, and, and then she slowed down with her development and everyone else caught up, and then it, it became so bad, so balanced. And we don't know what's going to happen. We have no idea. I don't think there's any test in the world going to show us physically what the player is going to look like at 12, 14, 18, 20, 21. So we use these comparisons, but they're... Kind of skew with anyway because like i said you would develop completely different times and different stages we also looked at some sort of tennis testing as well so we used to test how many forehands cross court how many backhands cross court how many volleys in a minute um very similar to stuff like you're doing now on coach education readiness tests but what does that show us well that just shows is you're really good at doing an isolated drill and it all depends on who you're hitting with. Depends on the day, the time, how you're feeling. You might put a really, really good score in one day. But that's just like an absolute one-off. And yes, we used to do them three times and take the average. But again, you have to remember these days are quite quite pressure-filled for these young kids. They've just done all their physical testing as well. So we're generally testing them after they're tired. And then we're putting them in. But then we're comparing them again. We're comparing your ability to do an isolated game so how does that tell me if you're going to be a good tennis player or not it just shows me you can play an isolated game in a dynamic situation so that doesn't really work and there's, there's a reason now where uh, we don't actually do the norms last time i did a regional camp we didn't do any norm testing but we still did test them about actually recording it so we still did physical skill, and then we're looking at the players and then we're discussing it as a group of coaches who were the best movers who, who who weren't so good we were doing tennis skills closed practices and then discussing okay which player performed well in those practices so even though we're not recording and we're still using the same ideas of okay well let's test them let's look at them physically let's look at them from a tennis skill situation from an isolator point of view and then let's talk about okay who's Who's doing really well in that? Who's not so well developed in that? So even though we're not using those systems, or sorry, we're not recording those systems, we're still using similar models to to quote unquote analyze the talent. And then we get them playing matches. So we may look at ratings and rankings as a form of identification. But the issue with that is, again, we just don't know. I go back to the girl I mentioned before, who was really physically well developed. She would win eights, nines, and tens easily because she was so big and strong compared to all her peers. Then when she got to 12s and 14s, it petered out because everyone caught up. So we didn't quite, even though she was winning at eight, nine, and ten, and really quite high up, by the time she got to twelve, fourteen. And again, I no longer work with the player, but I know she's not as dominant as used to be now. And she's in under-16s going into under-18s. But we looked at her back then and it was, oh, you've got talent because you're really successful. Okay, but now we're getting towards the the point where she could potentially think about becoming a pro player. And she's nowhere near it. But even though she was so dominant, I mentioned on the stream the other week about competition. Like, how many county champions at 8, 9, and 10 do you know that I've never gone on to do anything? Because just because you're a great eight-year-old doesn't mean you're going to be a great 12-year-old. If you're a great 12-year-old, doesn't mean you're going to be a great 18-year-old. I looked into this this week in, within the American sports. I looked at the NFL, and I looked at the stats in terms of their talent ID system, because obviously it's big business, so they, so they have a whole talent system where players get recruited for high school, so they have a sift. So you get into high school then you go from high school to ncaa then you go into the, um, the nfl draft and then you go into an nfl roster and you might become a pro player and over a million players go into high school are recruited high school and only 77 will make an nfl draft uh, sorry an nfl roster or team so 77 out of a million that's that's And they've got a system where they've invested loads of money, lots of money goes into high school, into into college basketball, loads of money is driven into those ID systems. And even then they can't identify the talent. And even I was reading an article and and they said they even had a draft pick. I think there's like 264 players go into a draft, but only 77 actually will make it. Because even then at the end of their maturity don't forget these are all players who've gone through puberty so they're at the end of their maturity Yeah, they are still growing into adults but you probably got a better idea then and even then they've got no idea but yeah i know here in the uk to get to a regional development center we identify you at under 12 we identify you before puberty or maturity and if again apparently to week. if we don't get on that system then we're just going to give up because we're not going to make it i was trying to get them to understand that just because you're in the system doesn't mean you're going to make it therefore if you're out the system that also means that that you might still make it We, we just don't know but the way the way it was set up was and the way it was presented to them if you don't get on the system then there's no point so you just wasted four or five years of traveling around the country and loads of money on lessons but because you're not on the pathway then yeah, you're not going to make a player and that's want to put the genesis I think really of why I've been thinking about this way well is that right is that the right way of doing it and then I've been looking at the barriers of these systems as well and one of the things I've been doing doing all the research looking at all the clubs and all the senses as every single one when you go down the pathway System, the talent system. You've got to pay more money. You've got to have two, three lessons a week, which is more money. You've got to have individuals, more money. Got to play more tournaments, more money. So, imagine all those players who just can't afford it. So, I might be the most talented player in the world, but I can't afford it. I can't afford to play two, three times a week. I can't afford to be going to all these tournaments. So, therefore, I'm going to go to a sport like football. Because football, all that's provided for me. If I'm a talented player under, under 12 and I get picked up by a football team, they will pay for all my training. They'll pay for all my development. They'll pay for everything. But in tennis, it's the opposite way around. And I get it from that point of view because football clubs invest money in the players because that one player might be worth 20, 30 million to them when they sell them. Eighteen, nineteen. So they invest so much money in their youth development because if they sell a couple of players for 20 30 40 million each then it's it's, it's a it's, it's a good business decision so i understand we can't quite do that in tennis we can't sort of pay for the players because we don't sell them on at a later date more often than not we produce players and they move on and someone else gets all the credit for it so we need to think of a system where m- money is less of a barrier but also we we have to get paid for our time as a coach. Again, it's something that I'm going to discuss within my academy membership and the, the programme development course. Well, I think I've got an idea of how I can actually produce more and better players, but it's not as actually expensive for the parents. So, so that's another barrier that we have to take away. We, we We have to take away that barrier, but also make sure that we can pay the bills ourselves. The second barrier is time. Because imagine I've got two free kids and one kid is on this pathway and they've got to go to tennis three times a week. But what about the other two kids? I just can't physically get them there at the times. And don't forget within all, all our coaching programs, it's all set times. Okay, Monday at five, Wednesday at five, Friday at five. Okay, yeah, you might do two out of three or ideally do all three. But what happens if I can't make all three? And a lot of programs I looked at is there's a minimum sort of requirement. Under eights, minimum of two squads. Under nines minimum of two squads. Greens minimum of three squads. If you can't do three squads, you can't you you can't attend. A lot of coaches go yeah, but you have to be committed. You've got to commit to this. I mentioned this again a few weeks back. Coaching makes tennis expensive. And we all look at long-term athlete developments or long-term player developments and guidelines saying, well, at eight, you need eight hours, nine, nine hours, 10, 10 hours, 11, 11 hours. That doesn't mean it has to be 11 hours of coaching, it's 11 hours of sport. But again, we, coaches, we use this narrative of, well, oh, you, you have to do that because that's what the other players are doing. So again, we start to compare goes back to the norm testing. Yeah, but such and such reached a national level and they were doing four hours a week. So you should do four hours a week. And that peer pressure then gets in there as well, doesn't it? Well, such and such I heard is doing eight hours a week, therefore we must do eight hours a week. Even though I could do two good hours a week and get, and get more from it than some programs eight hours a week. So sometimes the, the amount of time isn't important, but it's the quality of the training. That's another barrier that we have to break down. This, this notion of we have to do X amount of hours. And well, what if I can't do X amount of hours? What if I can't do this week? I can't do a Monday and a Friday at five. So therefore I'm not going to play tennis for two weeks because I don't know. I've got Christmas shows on. Again, within the Academy program that I'm that I'm writing for the Academy members, I'm designing a system where that's not a problem. That's not a barrier no more we can get rid of that barrier quite quick and quite easy. So it's 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 led me to, to the question, do we need talent systems? Do we need talent pathways? And one of the things that got pushed back when I was having a conversation about this this week was, well, yeah, because we need to know, we need to make sure the best players play with the best. And that's one of the things that most national government bodies will promote with their, with their system. Yeah, we get the best players with the best coaches and the best facilities best of the best of the best but do we need to do that really i get the idea of you, you spar with the best but for someone who's worked in this system i think sometimes the best players together is sometimes negotiable a lot of these programs and i've worked in a lot of them a lot of them will have some very talented players but the vast majority of the players are what we used to look at as the cash cows. They pay and support the other players because we might have court fees we've got to cover. So we've got to make sure there's eight in that squad, even though two are probably, we'll look at the best of the best. But then we need the other six to get in there to fill it. Because you can't have two in a squad, you've got to have eight. So we fill these programmes up with... Again, cash cows—people who are just paying—and we give them the title and the badge of performance program. Therefore, I wouldn't say we're misselling it because they're—they're they're, they're probably getting a good, good, a good squad. But we but we're giving them the dream, aren't we? So the best of the best is always negotiable. I'm not too sure that's always right. And then it also creates this whole ego culture of the parents. Well, I'm not training in that school because such and such isn't good enough. And my son and daughter only plays with the best players. And then what happens then is we get no one to play with because we're always in this hunt of I've got to have, I've got to go with better players. So you go from a hundred players at your, sort of, at your club to 10 players but then those 10 players aren't good enough. So then you go to another squad where there's five, but then those five don't become good enough. So then you go to a squad where there's two and then your partner's not good enough and then you're on your own. And my counter argument to this all the time to coaches and players is the first round of any tournament, you're always playing up or down. You're never playing at the same level ever. First round Wimbledon, you're either playing a top seed or you're the top seed playing lower level players. Therefore you've got to have experiences of playing with so many different diverse players by having this system of, or again, I used to do it in my program, the top 10%. Okay. So if we've got hundred players in our program, we've got to have a performance program with with the top 10%, the top 10 players, top 10%. And there's a great podcast list to a few weeks ago. And, and, The coach was talking about talent development and he said, well, if you've got talent, like true, natural, gifted talent, you'll find your way anyway. You'll make it. You don't need all the extra bells and whistles and all the support because if you've got that much talent, you'll make it anyway. So why don't we focus on the 90 percent? Let's focus on making everyone better, not just the best, not just the top 10 percent. If we make everyone better, then the level gets better across the board. And therefore, you'll have a bigger pool of players. And that's what I found really interesting about looking at the NFL system and how it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And there's still no guarantee they make it anyway. And there's so many sort of things out there of players being told, well, you're not going to make it. And obviously, one of the most famous ones is Michael Jordan High School. Gets dropped at high school. And it it wasn't because he didn't have the talent. The coach said, well, he just didn't think he was ready for it at that moment. But imagine, again, he's he's a complete outlier because he had the drive to almost go, OK, well, I'll show you. How many players do we do we cut and they just give up because it's the end? And, then, and people say, yeah, but that's maybe part of the system. And I used to say it a lot as well. Sometimes when you cut players, if they just give up, then they were never going to make it anyway. But now I'm sitting here thinking, well, who am I to make that decision? Because I don't really, ha- I don't, I can't tell. I can't tell if you're going to make it or not. I have spent 20 years trying to find out. And some of my best players who've gone on to big, well, successful things, national level tennis, international tennis, they're generally the ones that I didn't think were very good. And they've just found their own way. And they've developed themselves. To that level. Some of my best players I thought were going to take me to the top. I've never made it, even though they had unbelievably talent. A lot of them went off to football because football teams came in and they they seen they had some kind of physical skill development level and they just took him anyway. And then you and then you sort of left with with those other players who didn't rate, and they're the ones who go on. And I think if you ask any true coach, and it's always interesting when you hear coaches who work at this level and the players go on they go oh yeah i always knew they'd go on to do something i think it's easy to look back and, and reflect and go well i work for such and such and you know, i could always tell and i think i don't think you can i think you just look back in a in a rose tinted of glasses of oh yeah they they oh, yeah, 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 they were super good those players when they were younger so i don't think we can tell so do we need talent systems? Let me know in the comments. Let me know what you think. And the only thing I keep coming back of why we have them is Ego. Ego for the coach. Oh, I've got, and there's a great post put on a Facebook about performance. I've, I've used performance. One, because it's in my qualifications. I and two. It's generally in my job title. But like we we put these tags on performance or I work with performance players and I've done it. and I still do it. Oh, yeah, I work performance players. Then every player should be a performer. Because every player should be able to play a match. And playing a match is a performance. So everyone should be a performance player. So it feeds the ego of the coach. Fed fed my ego for many years. Feeds the ego of the players and the parents. Talk about before. Yeah, so the parents and the players have this massive ego. Feeds the ego of the club. Go on to Instagram today. Look at all the clubs and all the coaches. And all they generally post now is... Pictures of players winning tournaments, pictures of players having success. And they're not celebrating success. they feed an ego, the feeding ego of the player, the feeding ego of the parents, the feeding ego of themselves. And it's something that I've stopped doing because I'm not, I don't want to feed anyone's ego. That goes back to the program we talked about last week. Are we? feeding an ego environment or are we, sorry, are we trying to create an ego environment or mastery environment? And at the moment, all I keep going back to is it's just, it's an ego environment. It's all about ego. It's all about ratings and rankings and playing at certain levels and certain grades. And then all we seem to be doing is just narrowing down the base. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And smaller. And I've been looking at myself and, I'm always quite open and honest in these streams. I look at myself and I was looking at a job the other week. I was like, oh, I've never taken that job. It's not even performance. And I was like, well, that's massively egotistic by me to look at a job and think, well, that's not good enough for me because I'm a performance coach. Rather than looking at it and going, well, you know what, imagine if I went in there, did a really good job and made loads and loads of players. And I was in the conversation with a coach the other week, and the amount of coaches who tell me. They're just doing their level two or their instructor course. And they're like, yeah, I want to work in performance. And I'm like, oh. like we all have this desire to work with the best players. We all have this desire to, to work in this performance landscape because we have this perception of it's easy. <laughs> it's not easy. It's more difficult. You make no money for one. You deal with so much stress and hassle that it, it's it's ridiculous at times and it's just ego it's just ego based so i'm questioning it myself as well anyway i don't want to rant on too long but there we go do we need talent systems do we need talent identification systems what's the point of it if the point of it is to make more and better players why haven't we got more and better players because we really haven't we talked about this on the stream last week we got 1.3 million kids playing tennis here in the uk but how many of how many, that 1.3 million are going to be tennis players? 0.1% maybe. So we have the, again, talked about it a lot on this channel. We have these systems and they're traditional systems. And we have this belief that they work. Where's the proof in the pudding? Where's the proof that these systems work? I'm not seeing it anywhere we keep them and we keep them for the reasons that we talked about last week because they're traditional because we've always done it that way because they're easy for us to manage as coaches they're great marketing tools and that's what being honest I've been involved in lots of these programs they are great marketing tools they're great for social media posts they're great for getting players to play two three times a week and it increases the income for the club and yeah it is great for some players because it gives them the the facilities and the access, but again, there's no guarantee. And I just feel that I need to rethink what I'm in with all this. Cause I've been a part, of, part of it for so long. I've been telling players at nine and 10 that they're not going to make it. Who am I to tell a player they're not going to make it? Who am I to say that you can't, you won't make it unless you do X, Y, and Z when I don't have, I have no idea. And most tennis coaches will have no idea. And most national governing bodies will have no idea if you're gonna make it or not. And you only have to look at the number of players within Britain who have gone on to pro careers, even though they've been dropped by the pathway at some point. Even though they've they've gone outside the system, but they've then gone on to make a pro career despite the system. So there we go. Listen, uh, no stream now for a couple of weeks. We're back on January the 5th, which will be the first stream of the new year. Um, head over to com. Please have a look at the academy. If you're interested in more content, uh, please head over to there. Lots of videos, lots of videos of lessons, lots of videos of practices, lots of videos of going more in depth of the theory uh, of coaching. Uh, so please head over to there. And yeah, have a great holiday season. Whatever holiday you celebrate, I hope you have a great time. I'm going to enjoy Christmas. I'm going to try and get back in the gym after Christmas, as always, and try and, it's been a bad year for me physically-wise with, with injuries and stuff, so I'm going to try and start 2024 as I go on and get myself back into shape. So that's my New Year's resolution, but like 99% of the world, try and get back into shape. Uh, but yeah, have a great holiday season, and until January, I'll see you soon.